I think it's lovely. It looks like a winter wonderland. And those of you who want to be in it, have at it. But I'm going to be in the inside. So I'm going to be the snow bunny in the inside. Yeah, I, I, I figured that from Monica. I was like, I, I just can't even picture her. No, sir. No. There's no need. You can't picture it because it's not so. See, that's why you can't picture it. And yeah, so I'm I'm sort of on Monica's side of things in general. Um, so I don't love the cold. However, the one time a year, I like taking out the army gear, putting it all. It's head to toe. Like even there's even a hood and everything head to toe army gear. So I probably look like really intimidating to <laughs> little kids out there when I go out to sled or do things like that. Now, if it's more than one time a year no, nope, that's enough. It's done. So see, I kind of figured this first off, hoorah to the army, army brat here, but Neftali, <laughs> I figured you were probably a little calculated, like. I can maybe do it. Depends on what the benefit is. That I, so this like sounds like that. It sounds like that. Yep. And it's like, no, no. There's no, no amount of fondue in the world that could make Neftali excited for winter. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. I am the production editor, Grace Pratt, and I am joined here by several of my co-hosts. And we're excited to be back with you for this first podcast of 2023. You know, we recorded on schedule in December, but it feels like a lot of life has happened since then to me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm happy to be here connecting this morning. One reason I am very happy that our podcast is today and not yesterday is because one reason I am very happy that our podcast is today and not yesterday is because my children had a snow day yesterday. And so uh, I can make no guarantees about the background levels of noise when they are home. Uh, you know, in Oklahoma, a snow day means like an inch, an inch and a half. I know that we have some colleagues here on our call who get a lot more weather than that. Um, but we just don't have the infrastructure, you know, if there, if there's any ice on the road, we just hunker down and it's easier. The sun will warm it up if we wait long enough. So, but it got me curious about our icebreaker question for today. As you're introducing yourself, what's your favorite snow day activity? Are you a get out there and build a snowman and have a snowball fight and snowshoe around kind of person? Or are you a hunker down by the fire and read a book with some hot cocoa or somewhere in between? Let's hear it. Uh, So I'm going to go around the circle for me. And next to me, I have Monica Williams-Harrison. Hello, everybody. Monica Williams-Harrison, integrated care professional, LCSW by trade. I'm doing clinical training and consultation with the AIMS Center. I am physically in Connecticut, where we too had snow yesterday and an early release. So same with like all of the notes of I'm on a call. Please don't knock. All of that does not matter. Um, I don't like the cold. Let's not talk about why I moved to Connecticut. <laughs> Let's just go forward with. Um, so I am not outside in the snow having fun. I am inside looking at it from the inside with my hot tea, watching probably reality TV. So I think it's lovely. It looks like a winter wonderland. 
And those of you who want to be in it, have at it. But I'm going to be in the inside. So I'm going to be the snow bunny in the inside. Yeah, I, I, I figured that from Monica. I was like, I, I just can't even picture her. No, sir. You know, I mean, Monica and I both, you know, lived in North Carolina for a long time at yes. the same time. And I was like, no, I just, I can't picture. I was waiting for your answer, Monica. Oh, yeah. I, like, I just can't picture. There's no need. You can't picture it because it's not so. See, that's why you can't picture it. Let that loveliness stay outside. Is what that's I'm right. That's you. right. <laughs> okay. Well, next we have Bridget Beachy. Hi, I'm Bridget Beachy. I'm one of the podcast members now for a few years and work as a behavioral health consultant in the state of Washington. Uh, and I'm definitely get out and play in the snow a thousand percent. But we haven't had a snow day ever. So I've been here for nine years and Yakima is used to kind of getting a lot of snow dumped on it. Uh, I think the most we've ever had was like a two hour delay. So uh, we do have a planned snow day for like the residency and education where we uh, drive into the mountains and do snowshoeing or snowboarding. Uh, so I'm definitely the uh, get out snowshoe and uh, play in the snow type as well as sled riding. Oh, I actually love snow and everything about snow. I kind of had a feeling you did yeah. and that you were probably the person yeah. like throwing snow at people. Like I just get the, I just get it, Bridget. That I like <laughs> Like, be careful. Bridget will dump snow down your back. Like, I just get that. Oh, I could see, I could see Bridget being one of those ice ball throwing kids. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those bullies. I was a super shy kid. I didn't talk to anybody until I was like nine. I'm serious. I love it. I had to make some rules yesterday about where you're allowed to throw snowballs. Like, throw them at the brick, not the window, because windows can break. So, uh, we escaped that thankfully. Uh, next, we have Neftali Serrano. Yes. Hey, everybody. I am the CEO here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. Also spent most of my, well, all of my professional life in integrated care uh, as a psychologist and uh, working in PCBH. And yeah, so I'm I'm sort of on Monica's side of things in general, uh, being, uh, you know, I, I just have Latin blood. I'm Colombo Rican, uh, half Colombian, half Puerto Rican. And, you know, snow is, uh, not, not like our natural environment. And I don't know if there's anything to the idea of genetics and all that, but it certainly applies to me. Um, so I don't love the cold, however, one time a year, right? So, so one time a year, if there's just one snowfall, I'll put on my army gear, essentially. I, I should clarify, my my uncle was in the army and he passed down all this sort of gear uh, that has the, our names, Serrano, on it. So uh, it's like these like super tough Teflon, you know, stuff that's supposed to survive all these climates. So I go out there in full army gear. So I probably look like really intimidating to <laughs> little kids out there when I go out to sled or do things like that. So one time a year, I like taking out the army gear, putting it on. It's head to toe. Like even there's even a hood and everything head to toe army gear and go out there and do that. Now, if it's more than one time a year, no, I can't, I can't take that stuff out more than one time a year and have, I just like, nope, that's enough. It's done. So see, I kind of figured this first off hoorah to the army, army brat here, but Naftali, <laughs> I figured you were probably a little calculated. Like 
I can maybe do it. Depends on what the benefit is. That <laughs> so this like sounds like that. It sounds like that. Yep. Yeah, I think I read that it's um, somewhere in like the Nordic countries where they have a saying that there's no bad weather, only bad clothes. And so if you suit up warm enough, like, you know, you are not even feeling the breeze on your face. It sounds like everything's covered. I agree. Yeah, I, that's I don't know. That's because you're the I've, outside I've, person, Bridget. That's yeah, <laughs> I've, I've heard that from my wife. She's uh, half Swedish. And uh, all these excuses that those Nordic folks make for like yes. enjoying the winter, enjoying, I'm doing quotes, quote, quotes for this, I'm doing yeah. quotes, enjoying <laughs> the winter. And it's like, no, no, I think that's a rationalization. I don't really. There's no that. amount of fondue in the world that could make Naftali excited for winter. <laughs> There's a uh, reason we- they eat Ludfisk. Yeah. Oh, we're, now we're on a tangent. <laughs> uh, we also have Jen Thomas. Yay. All right. Hi, guys. Jen Thomas. I'm a family med physician in Illinois doing integrated care, primarily in the COCM model. I'm with Bridget. I like the snow. I mean, I've kind of had to had to like the snow. I've got four kids age 16 to seven. So when there's snow, it's you're out playing in it, whether you like it or not. So I've just kind of the last few years embraced it, got some really good gear you know, and suit up and go out and just try to, you know, rediscover that inner child of making snow forts and um, having the snowball fights and hiking in the woods and stuff like that. So yeah, I like the snow. I mean, I'm kind of with Natalia though, too, or like, I take, I like it a little bit. I don't love it come late March, you know, when it's like spring and you're itching for sunshine and some green and flowers, then it's not my favorite. So there's a time and place for the snow, I think, but the Nordic thing. Yes. So I don't know if any of you are familiar with the frozen musical. I took my girls to that last year and that it's a, is it Higa or Huga? There's this whole concept of like coziness in the Nordic um, culture of, you know, mm. cozying up with warm socks and a cup of tea and a good book. And so I was really trying to like channel that last year. It lasted for a little while. And then I'm just like, forget it. <laughs> I just want to put on some shorts and <laughs> sunscreen and see a pool. <laughs> But if you're in the in the market, Higa, Huga, it's H-Y-G-G-E. That's like this whole thing you can do to lean into the, the cold months and try to survive and shake off some of that seasonal affective disorder business. So <laughs> that sounds like the whole when people pick to go on vacation and they pick cold places. I never understand. Right. I just never. Why? Like, why I just never. That? Like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, what? What are you doing? There's but, a whole world. I mean, hey. <laughs> to each his own or her own. <laughs> Well, like I said, I'm Grace Pratt. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and practice in a residency program in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I think I'm the southernmost member uh, on our call today. And so we don't have to deal too much uh, with snow. It's a few times a year, although it's a little more frequent than when I lived in eastern North Carolina. Um, but it's it's infrequent enough that like yesterday, my kids wanted to go out and make snowballs. And I'm like, I don't have any mittens that fit you. So let's put socks on your hands <laughs> and, <there. laughs> you know, it'll be fine. Um, yep, but yep. I am the lean into the cozy. I want yep. a book. I want to be by the fire. I, that sounds fabulous to me. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. My youngest is youngest of four. So he'll rock like the purple and pink snow pants that were two girls ago. He's <laughs> like, eh, I'll just go out and whatever. Exactly. <laughs> put it on. Keeps my, keeps me warm. You know, hand-me-downs are good, but that's all good. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Well, I am so excited to have all of you here today, and we're going to have a great conversation in just a minute uh, about a really important topic. But first, I want to hand it over to Naftali for a second to tell us about some news and notes. 
Yeah, thanks, Grace. So, uh, yeah, big news for us is uh, just launching our spring conference. This is the first time we're trying this, so it's a little bit of an experiment on our part. We obviously people know us uh, for our fall conference um, in October, and that's a great time for folks to get together. We had a great time. Uh, well, we did in person. Uh, those of us in the podcast, which is fantastic to have our podcast in person for the first time in a long time. But now we have this spring event. And what we've really done is try to differentiate it from the fall event. Um, It's virtual. So it makes it something that folks can get to easily, uh, especially for price sensitive folks who just can't travel and do things like that. We want to differentiate it also in terms of content. And we're we're really thinking that the spring event will be a career builder type event, which goes really well with our conversation today. Uh, One of the things we think is important right now is really uh, helping shape and help individuals and the the sort of overall marketplace create great spaces for our talented people in integrated care to to work in. And so we have a series of sessions that are intended to, you know, some of them are going to be just skill building. So you can build your career by building skills in different areas. Some of them are going to be more on the lines of just sort of thinking and reflecting a little bit on your career and where, where you want to go. And each day is going to end with just a reflection time where we just get to reflect together on kind of um, where we think we're going with our careers and, um, you know, what that what that means for us. So, um, yeah, so check it out. Integratedcareconference.com, of course, is always our place to go. You can also see uh, some of the promotional stuff there for our fall conference, which will be in person in uh, Phoenix, Arizona this year. So uh, the dates for the spring events are April 19th and 20th. Check that out. Um, and we hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Neftali. Uh, well, I'm going to transition us now into our main topic for our show today. And that is something that can be I I think it's really important and engaging to talk about, but also can be a little uncomfortable depending on the moment or what's happening in your life and your position. Uh, So we're going to talk salary and compensation. Um, You know, we talk about the three worldview and the financial piece of that. And I think a lot of times that conversation leads to how do we pay for integrated care? Like, how do we bill? How, what, what codes are we putting in? How are we getting our services reimbursed? Even how are we, you know, getting grant funding? Um, But sometimes we stop a little short of flipping that around and saying, okay, but how are we paying our people? Um, And, you know, we've been having this really ongoing in-depth conversation about workforce development, and you can have all the best trained, most engaged employees in the world, but if you're not, you know, fairly compensating them and thinking about salary and paying them, then your workforce is going to atrophy and you're going to lose those people that are your amazing workers. And so I want to open us kind of broadly and just ask about what are some ways that salary and compensation need to be and are important to this overall conversation that we have about integrated care? Yeah. And just for context, uh, as you guys think about that, um, what kind of spurred this is is we did a salary survey, um, salary and wellness survey uh, that we just put up on our website for folks working in integrated care uh, settings. And yeah, so we've been thinking really heavily on this whole idea. Yeah, I was actually excited enough to see that it was salary and wellness, because I think, um, although I do think that you should pay your people, and I do believe that there's a lot of work 
that needs to be done around pay equity. I also think people negate the wellness part and the culture that you can establish for your staff that goes beyond, okay, so you can't give all of your staff raises because that's not in the budget this year or whatever. Okay, well, what are the other things that just provide a more, um, that are just take a wellness approach and a more well-rounded culture for your team? Like those pieces, I think people um, don't think about that it's not always financial. Now hear me, pay your people. But also, there are other things that you could do to attract people to your organization, to your team where people want to stay. Because I think the turnover issue, like that's going to cost you more money too if you keep turning over staff. And so I was happy to see wellness included um, in the title for the survey. I think that's so great that the spring conference, the theme of it, because yeah, we need to help support leaders to create cultures that people want to continue to work in and to advocate for their people and to continue to push the envelope. Because what happens as we all know is that folks will go to their local, regional, local, regional, state, possibly national median salaries. And if you look at that for certain degrees, society, PhD, LCSW, I mean, the data is not great. Uh, for what you're seeing. So from their perspective, I don't even blame HR to a certain degree because it's like, well, the median salary for an early career psychologist is 70,000 and we're paying you a hundred. So what's the problem? And uh, so we need to get this really strong infrastructure of integrated care to explain that what we're doing in integrated care is different. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fast paced. There's all these different dynamics. What you're asking folks to do and building that infrastructure, keeping your people, and then constantly advocating for how can we get that pay up? Because we're in this cycle where, like I said, they go and they look at the national data. There's nothing you can really get from there. So again, from an HR perspective, they're like, well, this is just what it is. And so every single time advocate and we get paid more, then that's then information that's going back out that people would say, oh, hey, look, at CHGW, here's what they're paying. At so-and-so, here's what they're paying. So then that gives them fodder to tell their organizations this is what they're paying and it can raise the bar across the board. It's an interesting thought that that brings up because I think, you know, we spend so much time at CFHA and even on our podcast saying, here's what integrated care is. Here's what we're doing, trying to help systems to understand and to recognize like the value and benefits of this model of working. But when we're working in systems that don't. And when we talk about fully integrated systems, this is why fully integrated doesn't just mean the clinical team or the person going into the room to see that patient. It's at all levels of an organization and there's all the pieces of it because if HR doesn't understand what we're doing or what our job is or can't find a comparison because it is an innovative model in your area or because it's new a new adaptation for your system, it can lead to a lot of difficulties and miscommunication with leadership when we're talking about salary or even about protected time and how we're distributing FTEs. And I think there's a bigger picture of compensation than just salary, although salary is such a key component of it. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that goes to wellness, right? Protected time. What's the FTE you have for direct patient facing things versus all the trillion other things that we do, right? And so I think that that falls into that wellness bucket that I was talking about. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, from the physician perspective, it's so productivity driven. It is what is your RVU is what is your worth. And it's challenging to do other leadership roles when you say these activities require time and, you know, the pushback can be, well, your time's too valuable to not be seeing patients. It's got to be that not, you know, checking in on your workforce and looking at your workflows and, you know, doing site visits and things like that. So it's, it's really challenging to know, like, well, how do you prove that argument? You know, like what data can you present? And I know, and my experience is that we're very isolated in our compensation conversations as physicians, that there's not a, you know, uh, compare notes with your neighbor. It's a, you're kind of isolated and every person for themselves kind of conversation, which is a really difficult way to bargain when, you observe some workforce trends that aren't healthy. They don't speak to wellness, but what are you going to do? How, how are you going to say, well, hey, no, the workforce doesn't need that. We need some more time on wellness and culture of, you know, um, inclusion and more than just you are eat what you kill kind of stuff. So it's tough. It's very tough. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm glad the conversation has gone in the direction of the overall uh, package right, that an organization offers. Because, you know, I have seen folks on occasion uh, express concern about salary. But by and large, when I see folks struggle with salary, what salary becomes a proxy for is often sort of a disaffection with the overall package, the overall treatment of the organization that they that they feel like they're not, they're not, um, to your point, Grace, like, they don't understand what I'm doing. Um, they don't make space for what I'm doing. Uh, they don't support what I'm doing. There's no growth trajectory here, right? And so so then salary becomes sort of a conversation to help in a way kind of um, ameliorate that in some way. But what I counsel folks is, hey, there's no amount of money that's going to make you happy over the long term at a job like that. If they don't understand what you do, they don't get what you're doing. They're not making space for you. They're not putting in as part of their overall package uh, an understanding of what your skill set is actually bringing to their organization. Then the money is not the issue. And again, I'm not putting aside at all the money, right? It's just if if that's what you know, if you're using the money to compensate for the lack of those other factors that contribute to your wellness, not just your wellness, but when I think of wellness, I think of just your, your overall career trajectory. Like, where is that going, right? Because that's really what keeps us through the ups and downs of work. It's it's that sense of like purpose and directionality of where we're going with our sort of work mission, our vocation. And if that's not there, money is going to be a short-term Band-Aid on it. And eventually you're just going to find yourself feeling like uh, even this, this much is that this is just not worth it. And right or wrong, possibly an unpopular opinion, but again, here we are. Uh, I'm just going to say how it is, uh, or at least how my brain experiences it. We can't wait for our organization to appreciate us. We can't wait for them to see us. We have to advocate and market and celebrate and show. You better believe every time anything good happens ever, the senior leadership, I've said it before, they are, they are tagged, they're CC'd on that email. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the organization that I, I work for, very proud, but, and I feel comfortable saying this, I think they all know this. If for the last eight and a half years, I did not spend every waking moment 
describing, demonstrating what myself and my team does, they would not know it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't think that's that's unorthodox for um, for our profession in integrated care. I feel like most of the time in the positions that I've been in that have been on the integrated care continuum, let me say that because it's a very large continuum, um, it was explaining and constantly showing like, here's what I can contribute to the team. Look, here's the, and I was going to say unfortunately, but it is what it is. Data speaks volumes for some people. Um, so being able to, to show that, but ultimately it's like, look, here's what I bring to the table. So when I, you know, if I got pushback about salary and I will say in some of the situations that I've been in, I've been on teams with other disciplines. And so, um, it would be like, okay, you're an LCSW. We're not sure what to pay. Okay. We're going to give you 50, but then my colleague next to me, who's a different discipline, we're doing the exact same work and you're giving them 70, you know, like, it was like, what, like, what is happening? You know, even in those moments of just educate, it's just lots of education, lots of education. As long as I felt as though um, they were actually were listening to what I had to say and were committed to some type of change, I wasn't just automatically ready to walk out the door um, because I didn't get something like right away. Because I do agree, I think it was Neftali said it, that it's the overall package and one of the things you guys can't see the chat but like one of the things that Bridget put in the chat which I've had to say to some individuals like you have nurses because of what you know it brings to the team how much it helps yes um in terms of flow for the providers and quality and, but they don't bill they don't, like they don't bill and you pay them good money mm-hmm. for the most part mm-hmm. but they don't bill they're not you're not clocking them for every patient that they see Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had to say that to some individuals just to try to explain, like, I need you to have a little bit better open mind about what I do and not pigeonhole me just because you know I can, Bill. Yeah. yeah. And just to add a, a little bit more fodder from this, from the actual survey. So there's a couple areas that we're we're looking into and we're, we're still kind of running into this data and trying to contextualize it, right? So just take that that understanding. Um, you know, one of the one of the obvious issues with the data that we saw, um, which we already know about the field in general, um, is the lack of diversity in the field. So with that, there's some issues statistically with the way the, the data looks. But if the data is reflective of some sort of trends, if we look at uh, the data, there are some apparent disparities in salary and compensation uh, for both uh, gender, uh, with females making less than males, and with uh, race, with uh, African Americans making less than other races. Now, again, the the issue statistically is that the numbers for, for ethnicity and race for those groups, those other subgroups are so small compared to white Caucasian females. So white Caucasian females are the preponderance of the uh, data, like 75%. So that can skew your data when you have a really small comparison group, right, um, or subgroup. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. But that's one thing we're, 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 we're sort of be, you know, being aware of, So which, which to me brings the sort of the point that I, I've had conversations particularly with uh, female staff about how they negotiate and how they approach uh, their work with uh, advocating for themselves, uh, because I have noticed uh, the trends in the literature 
and then also just as a as a director of have have experienced you know kind of the differences in terms of how um, folks might think about salary and, and all that. And so my um, my overall message to folks who may be in groups that that may have some maybe there's some systemic things going on in there that suppress salaries or things like that um, is to uh, you know get some coaching on like just how to present yourself and how to advocate for yourself. Cause it's hard to do just on your own. Like I, I, I know that for myself, it's hard to, hard to know exactly how do I do that without looking like a, like a, uh, I was going to say, yeah, I'll also say like an asshole. Right? Say it. I was going to say, say it. Say it. Say yeah. it. Right? How do you, yeah. how do you do that? How do you, how, how yeah. do you do that? Right? <laughs> There's a way to do that. You can do that. Right. Uh, then, guys, yeah. just to remember we're, we're on YouTube now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's that right. making that's or being captured for perpetuity. That's stuff. Uh, yeah. It was like Neftali said yeah. it. Oh man. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta check. Is the chat on there? I gotta check this chat. Oh shit. No, I don't think that's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we all got real nervous real quick. Like, oh shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's true. That's I'm glad that you're bringing this up, Natalia. It is definitely kind of where I wanted to steer our conversation also next and monica said at the beginning like there are issues of equity and payment that we can't ignore as part of this conversation and i'm thankful that the salary study is reflected i'm not thankful obviously that it exists but if it exists that we are having data that's demonstrating it that we then can use and appoint to because as someone said earlier like data a lot of times is what talks um I, i think there are trends and monica mentioned something in the chat i wonder if you'd say more about it monica about law changes in laws and legislation in some states about salary transparency which are intended to address some of these issues of equity and like the, you know, the, the secrecy that Jen was talking about earlier, like, you know, I'm just one person. How do I even know what someone else is making much less have an opportunity? Yeah. I sit on the fence with it because it still doesn't necessarily tell you like the range could be fairly large range. Right. But it is intended. So the law is intended to be a situation to help close the gap and provide pay equity. So if I post for a position in these particular states, which I don't know all of the states, but I know it's rolling and coming. Um, If I post a position, I'm automatically required to post what the salary range is for that position. So that way, if I, another person then interviews, they don't have to wonder like, am I shooting myself in the foot? And I actually think there's a little bit of a connection in terms of shooting yourself in the foot, like, um, you know, like under selling yourself, like you ask for much less than what you are. So I think there is a connection with what Neftali was saying. I don't think that we really like to toot our own horns. It feels weird. It feels wrong. And so sometimes yep. we, um, it's almost like we know our worth, but we're not willing to um, really advocate for our worth. And so I actually think there's a connection there when we start looking at um, some of the discrepancies in pay between genders and all of that stuff. Like, I think there's all a connection there. Now, now I haven't done any research and those of you who know me know I love research, but I am not the research girl. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I think there's just these connections there. And so I'm interested to see as this law kind of trickle, I mean, I think it's going to continue to go to across the U.S. because it's such a big issue, not just an integrated care, just like across the board. Um, So it'd be interesting to see if that closes the gap some, 
again, it at least tells me like, hey, here's the range. So whatever you're going to ask for, they're going to offer you, it's going to be in this. So it still doesn't tell me like, oh, am I making the same amount as Neftali or not? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Right. But it at least gets us closer. So we'll see. Secrecy benefits the structures of power. It right? does. You know, that is a truth just in general. Yeah, and it really does. I think this is yeah. also a reason, I Neftali mean, mentioned coaching, but this is a reason to have a great group chat. You know, yep. have your list your support. of peers, your <laughs> yep. mentors, your connectors. Like in my uh, group chat of friends, we recently had someone who is going to be doing some part-time integrated care work and was wanting to make an adjustment in what her ask was before she accepted the position. We helped her workshop her language. We helped her think about how she was going to ask it and she got what she asked for. And it was a really meaningful interaction for her. And at other times we've said, hey, here's a job position. Here's my (laughs) job description and salary letter. Like, see if you can use this and just to share those resources with each other. Um, Because, you know, just like you said, we sometimes have trouble asking for ourselves, uh, but I'm sure as heck going to yeah. get some language to my girlfriend and tell her yes. how to ask for herself. Oh, it's totally, totally. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if you've any of you read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, but there's a lot of dialogue on that of like, we are going to go, you know, like mama bear aggressive for our colleagues. But when it's our time to, you know, advocate for us, it's almost like I need my my best friend to get in there and negotiate for me because it, we're even, and there's that gender disparity, right? Where it's like, if I said the same, you know, dialogue and uh, advocating for salary is perhaps a male physician, we might get a different response. And she goes into that, like Monica mentioned, this, somebody studied that, some smart person did, there was like a Dave and Diane sort of parody of like a woman says this and the guy's exact same circumstance and then how those outcomes go, like how she's perceived with um, her level of advocacy versus his and how gender plays a role. So um, yeah, no, a, a group of my f- female physicians, we've all, you know, like you got to read Lean In before you go for contract negotiation and <laughs> did a little book club and like, bought a copy for a friend. So yeah, that's true. You it's, it's tough out there. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, it's so uncomfortable the way, I don't know how everybody else was raised, but talking about like your salary is just kind of like, you just don't like do that. And, uh, it was a very uncomfortable transition. Uh, but I, when I started hearing that I was making on the higher end compared to other folks as integrated, uh, BHCs, in some realms and other realms, I was like on the lower end. It was like interesting. Uh, but every time that you got that information out, it was so uncomfortable because I didn't want it to kind of co- come off as like, oh, well, look what I'm getting. It was like, no, look what look what we're getting. Here's the compensation. We understand that cost of living does make a difference. So you might have to factor some things in years of experience, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But also, yeah, here's what we are. Here's where we're at. Now use that data, take that data and the more that we can talk about it, the more we can ask about it. Uh, it, it was very, very uncomfortable for me, I'll just say. But uh, I figured at, that it's almost kind of a moral responsibility from a you know, gender perspective in that way of like, we need to talk about it. And um, that, that nicety or whatever we want to call it is, is, like you guys said, protecting institutions that need to be um, held accountable. I definitely agree that we need to to talk about it. You know, I don't want anyone to think, start thinking about the song, money, 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 money. I don't want anyone to think that we're saying it's all about the money, but we are just saying, like, advocate, we, we still got a lot of Fairly compensated. Fairly compensated. Valued, I only, yeah. I only know of one instance 
where an organization really wanted to hire um, this staff member on the team. And it was going to be above what everyone else was getting. And so they hired that person and also raised everyone else's so that it was equal compensation. Like once in my entire life, I mean, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in my mid, oh yeah, I can still say mid. I'm in my <laughs> mid forties. Like, like really? But I think it goes back to like money wasn't really talked about. Like you don't say, um, you know, you don't tell other people how much you make, but I also feel like, well, if I can't, then what you, what's going on behind closed doors? Like, what are y'all doing over there? Yep. Transparency. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that I typically counsel, uh, uh, especially young professionals to do is to um, try to keep the emotion out of it, um, both for yourself, right? Um, but but also in your in your interactions with folks, um, because when you're able to negotiate from a standpoint of, hey, look, this is the way I value myself, right? Just thinking through my market value, thinking through what I offer to the team, and and this is this is the kind of work that I want to do. And and then are able to then um, also uh, understand what's going on in the organization and sort of be a good uh, sort of uh, marketer in a way, right? You're marketing yourself. So you can't be speaking a language that doesn't make sense to the organization. And especially what you don't want to do is bring in sort of, I think what happens is uh, it becomes about how hurt you feel as opposed to your value. And I know this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but organizations don't care about how you feel, right? That's from a bottom line perspective. I'm not talking about the individual in front of you, the CEO, CML, CFO, whoever it is. They don't care about how you feel because their job is not to make you feel better. That That's not your job. And that's, that's, that's not their job. That's really important to understand in negotiation. It's like, this is not about you making me feel good, right? This is about us negotiating relative value. I have a value. I think I'm worth this much. You think I'm worth this much. And we're going to have to negotiate that out. And that's also, again, taking into account the, the total compensation, right? So the, or the total package, right? What it means to work here, what I'm getting out of this, what the trade-off is there, right? Because different companies are going to have different trade-offs, right? If you work for Google... It's it's a lot more about your actual compensation as and that's that's the big piece, right? You're going to get a lot of money, but if you're working for a nonprofit, part of the compensation is going to be flexibility, uh, remote work, uh, you know, quality of life, training, you know, time off, send whatever you to it CFHA. is, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that, right? So if you keep that part out of it and actually value yourself adequately. In other words, you're not doing that undervalue thing and not feeling bad about like actually seeing the power that you have. And right now, behavioral health professionals have never, never had more power than ever before historically. You have a ton of power right now. I would say the same thing about physicians. It is a ton of power because of the issues in the marketplace. There are clear shortages. There are institutions that are hurting, hurting for any of these positions that we're talking about as part of the integrated care team. Um, so if you value yourself well and you can put together that, that marketing package and negotiate that out effectively, that's going to work well. If you come saying, 
oh, you're not you're not valuing me uh, because you're not paying me this this amount. You're you're going to get into a back and forth that typically doesn't end very well. This is a business, and I I mean I agree with Neff. It's about negotiations. So you bring your data, do your research, do your homework. You bring your data to the table, pull from the the salary survey, wherever you have to pull from, pull out your quality metrics, whatever, but bring your stuff to the table to advocate for why you need A, B, and C. And even if it's not an increase in salary, like, hey, I'm interested in more in my training budget. I'm interested in more in my PTO. I'm, you know, like, I don't know what they might be willing to do, but you have to ask. Yeah. Time is time is a big piece, and I, I want to yeah. clarify. So, so when I say emotional, there's nothing wrong with feeling emotions. That that's normal. That's natural, especially what you said, Bridget. Because I think we're so acculturated to to be hypersensitive around money, um, and not want to share that information, um, and feel kind of shy and and closed off about it. And so that I think is what causes us to feel emotion about it because it's it's not it's so internal to us, right? So nothing wrong. Everybody feels emotion when they're going through this. It's just, you don't want that to interfere with the relational process and the negotiation process with the employer, because it's very hard. You can't resolve that in that kind of negotiation. Um, It it becomes really, really difficult on, on both ends. I've been on both ends of that. It's like, it's, you know, it's like you're not in therapy here. You're you're trying to work out a business arrangement. A lot of times, but the frustration it's hard. Is, yeah, it's, it's hard. hard. It's hard. But it's a lot of it's times it's like oh, I want this to work out. But like yeah. you know, you also have to be okay with it not working out. That's kind of how yeah. you negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you can't negotiate from a stance of this may not work out, you're not really negotiating. Yeah, yeah. If you get to pull the uh, "I'm not going to work here" card one time, so you better be ready. I'm not going to work here. Girl, who is the... (laughs) No, like if you're... I'm not going to work here. Like if you're uh, negotiating and you want a certain salary and and they're not able to meet it, and then you come back with some type of like, well, then I won't work here or I'll find somewhere else. You Mm -hmm. get to play that card once. And so you better be ready that if you are at that point where you feel that based on all the data, based on everything that you've gone over in your head, that if they don't meet this number, you got to be ready to walk if you're going to pull that card. Because I've seen it happen, not necessarily with BHCs, but just other colleagues, other circumstances where people do get very upset and they make an ultimatum with the organization. The organization says, well, we can't do it. And then they kind of come go back on it. And then it's just absolutely miserable for the person and it's miserable for the company. So you better, you you got that card once. I don't even want you to even pull that. Like, it just feels like such a, um, and I get being emotional. I've been on on both sides of this, you know, in leadership and on the other side. And and I get the emotions of it. I get emotional about some stuff too. I feel like if you, you know, the business side of it, and sometimes I've had to say to people like, hey, I feel this, but think about it from a business standpoint. Does this really make sense for, right? Like just for people to stop a minute and see that this really isn't about you, the person, this is maybe a business decision, right? But for somebody to say, well, I just don't work here. I just won't work. I don't, Mm, y'all. I guess it was more, uh, you know, I haven't been in one of those situations where somebody would say that, but kind of more the metaphorical, the metaphorical, well, then fine, work here. Uh, type of deal you have to be like again 
be ready to walk away and you it's okay to walk, to walk away and that is okay and it has to you know it's it's one of those things that you put the value and if it can't be met um but yeah if you're going to use that as like Neftali and you guys are saying like you can't use that as a negotiation tactic no and i i would i would I I agree, Bridget, that you, you would need to use that very sparingly. You probably wouldn't say it that way because, again, part of what you're you're trying yeah, metaphorically, to do yeah. is to maintain relationship with the organization. Yeah, because did you yeah, see that, that emotion that yeah. I yeah. had when Bridget said it? it was like, yeah. excuse me, what? Uh, so, sorry, yeah. I was talking in meta- metaphorical language. So <laughs> no, just yeah, totally like, get it. Totally get it. But I, I'm not telling our listeners to. Uh, yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is, like, you have to get your mind right that if your organization is not willing to budge after all the stuff that you've gone through, that metaphorically you get to play the card that you're not going to work here once because that means that you're going, that means that you're, you're leaving. And uh, you, so basically that's like the, uh, the kill button. So don't do it. So sorry if it was uh, misunderstood. I'm saying don't no, do no, the no. damn no, kill button. Yeah, I yeah think, no, I yeah. think I, I think it's reasonable to say at some point in a negotiation strategy, and and if you say it, you have to be willing to follow through on it. I think that's what you're saying, right? Uh, you don't really want to get there really in a negotiation strategy usually, but you can say something like, you know, um, I really enjoy working here. I really jive with the mission. I'd like to spend um, a good amount of my career here at this organization. At this salary, um, it would it would make me start looking elsewhere sooner than I would want to, because it does not align with my professional goals. Yeah. And then go find you something else. Yeah. We have to decouple. You know, we're using words like value and worth, and I think that's part of the challenge of keeping emotion out of it. Because that can become, this is about my value and my worth, like my intrinsic value and worth as a human being and as a person. And I think that's, you know, really dangerous for us to couple those things in our mind because like, I don't want to go on an anti-capitalism rant here, so I'm not going to, but we are, we are, we are people with intrinsic value and your value as a human is not tied to your compensation and your worth. And so I think sometimes we need to do a little bit of unpacking of maybe what are some underlying beliefs that are happening for us. Um, if we are feeling like, you know, our, our esteem and our, our self value and worth are getting tied up in these conversations or in the no, especially when we hear a no, like we have, I think reasonably stayed away from talking about our personal like salary mostly, but I will um, disclose that it was about three years ago that I topped my salary range at our organization and they have declined to reevaluate that several times. And I'm 37 years old, y'all. I'm a little too young to never have an increase in my compensation again. Uh, And so that is a piece of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. And it's not my, like I myself have had to do untangling of what that means and what value I place on that and um, how I interpret that. And so I think that's just a reflection piece that I want to point back to our people and to our leaders. Like, how are we communicating people's worth to them? How are we communicating people's value to our team? And salary is a piece of that, but it's not the whole of that. And that's back to that conversation about this is about, it's it's about money, but it's about more than money too. 
I don't know. I feel like sometimes in the medical provider world, it's like, you just can't win. It's like, it's the productivity and then it's the patient satisfaction. Um, mm. So it's like, how do you be super productive and everyone rates you excellent? So you just do more, 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 more. And everybody's got to love you, love you five out of five every time, except when you're having to have difficult conversations, there's a moral distress there. Cause it's like, if you just hit refill on a benzo, um, they'll give you five stars, but is that the right thing to do? It's the tough thing to do to spend half an hour discussing, you know, what's the evidence base and safer options. Um, but you'll be less productive, you'll get less RVUs and you get dinged on patient satisfaction. So it's a, <laughs> it's not rosy. I'm telling, I mean, it, it's a tough place to be, to feel like you're serving all of those agendas and trying to be true to what you think is right and wrong. And it ain't easy. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. No, it, it, it's not. And I think, I think both your comments are so spot on. I could say so much about it, but I, I think what I'll say here is I think it's important to wrestle with the, the system and the systematic components of what makes healthcare run. And so again, I won't go on and on, on the uh, anti-capitalist route here. And I will say that at its core, if we if we're I think honest with ourselves, healthcare is is corrupt. It it is it has a core of corruption in it that whose outflows we are discussing in the context of salary compensation and how jobs are structured. Um, and as individuals, it is really hard for us to fight that system, right? So we each have to kind of decide what we value and how we're going to individually take our own stands as we hopefully, and this is why we're, we're, we're doing things like the salary survey, right? To, to kind of put information out there that maybe helps begin to change and shift the system as people come together and share information and, and do all that, right? But individually, we do that. And so very tangibly, for example, my wife is a physician, you guys know, and, and she's always made the decision. And this is really a system issue, right? But she's made the value decision. She says, I'm not working full-time as an emergency medicine physician because full-time as an emergency physician is crazy making. It'll drive you batty. It'll drive you out of the work. So she's always made the decision. I'm going to work 0.7 to 0.8, and that's going to protect me from the systematic components of this job that uh, would otherwise diminish the value, My to Grace's point, the intrinsic value of who I am as a human being. I don't want that touched. That's what I value. And so that's one of the ways that she's kind of made decision. Now that has an impact on her earning potential, right? That has an impact on 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 uh, opportunities and things like that. But that's the decision she's made to take her particular stand. Each of us have to do that for ourselves to kind of make make it work for ourselves, essentially. So you know, we we have to do that. We we can't be passively waiting for the larger system to change for us to take good care of ourselves. So phone a friend group, get some executive coaching, like something. The transparency, I think we've hit on, not to pull the grace card, because your summaries are way better than my summaries. But um, yeah, the the transparency, I think, has been boots on the ground. The biggest benefit that I've seen is just colleague to colleague, organization to organization, being transparent about ranges and where are you at and this and that. And that alone, I think, has allowed myself personally to advocate uh, for um, fair compensation. 
and and to yep. put the the uh, other exclamation mark on it also transparency about like what the job actually looks like that's really important that's really important because there there are jobs and this is the argument i've had to make in my director roles um at, at times i've always worked for nonprofits so um when i'm hiring someone i'm like look i'm going to be transparent with you we don't pay what other people pay we can't pay what other people pay so you could make more money elsewhere but here's where i'm offering you value and i typically try to offer value on the growth end the trajectory here is a career is fantastic you're going to be able to grow here with us and in the time end those are the two things that i think are valuable to to certain kinds of professionals some people the compensation is really more weighted but for a lot of professors it's the time and the growth can i grow here and do i have the right time uh time for self like my own protected time, protected time for work and projects and leadership and things like that, that are part of that growth element. And I've been pretty successful at, at engaging folks and saying, hey, um, I'm willing to make that trade-off. I'm willing to say, I'm going to work at this salary, but I know what I'm going to get. And um, I, I have the time to develop myself in my career. Um, and I'm going to be part of a healthy culture. That's the other thing I try to sell. Like I'm going to be part of it. You're going to be part of a healthy culture. You're not going to walk out of here ever feeling like you're not part of this team. We've got to argue for not just the salary and compensation, but we've also got to argue for those the characteristics of where we work. Because again, healthcare is corrupt. There is corruption in it that makes the work difficult. And if you're a leader, you can do as you can push for your team and push for your team and push for your team, advocate as much as as possible. Um, for 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 both. And there's lots of business arguments. We've talked about this before with the 20% time that Google talks about. It's found in all through the literature, all through the, uh, that if you are able to give folks more of their time, they will give you better of themselves. So it doesn't have to be an or like, oh, we could work, uh, we could make this amount. It's actually a good financial decision to take care of your people in terms of retention, in terms of recruitment, in terms of people don't think about the recruitment two, three levels down. Whereas if you create a really good culture that folks, the word of mouth, they will bring you people and say, oh, they want to work here. So you save on recruitment costs in that way as well. Not to mention just like the dinners and the time out to go and interview this person. And then the, we, you bring somebody on and you have to do all these resources in the, in the um, ramp up period. So it's good for business to do the right thing. And maybe I'm naive on that, but the, I've, that's what I've seen on my no. own. Like, you You're do not the right. naive. Yeah, well, do the right thing. I also, do, right do your thing. research. I mean, also do your research as a leader, right? There's all this stuff coming out now, four-day work weeks versus five-day work weeks, right? Like all of that stuff in the package. Now, as a leader, book do your work. That you wrote, the 2013 Implementer Guide, is what I used to get, well, we get more like, we have essentially a, a four-day work week. It's, it doesn't exactly shake out that way, but as far as clinical services, nobody's working more than 32 clinical hours at full time. And that's because one of the reasons is because of your book, Neftali. Jen is dying. Jen is dying over there. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll chat later, but geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, this has been a really powerful conversation and I, hate to wrap us up, but I got to wrap us up. Um, you know, I hope that whether you're listening as someone who needs to make some 
negotiations in your own salary and compensation or an early career professional who's thinking about negotiating that first offer or someone more established or in a leadership role, that there are, you know, nuggets of of thought that come out of this conversation. I think there's a lot to chew on and a lot to continue to think about. Um, you know, that salary study is going to be something I hope everybody kind of turns their eyes to and gets out what you can out of that data. And then of course we have our listserv where we can continue this conversation and into the spring conference. So I um, just appreciate all of your time. And we will end with a closing thought. A meditation from Howard Thurman for a new year to plunge into deep knowing of each other, to heal a world that still needs a lot of healing. If I knew you and you knew me, and each of us could clearly see by that inner light divine, the meaning of your heart and mine. I am sure that we would defer less and clasp our hands in friendliness if you knew me and I knew you. Happy New Year. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you again next month.